Matthew chapter 13, and um, let's go ahead and just read uh, this passage, and I'll just read as you follow along in your copy of the Word of God this morning. Uh, You've been sitting a while, so let's stand in reverence to the reading of the Word. And it says, and then the disciples came and said to Jesus, why do you speak to them in parables? And Jesus answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear but never understand. You will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's hearts has grown dull and with their ears they can barely hear and their eyes they have been closed and lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and in, in turn and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So um, in 2008, a movie came to the theaters that nobody really knew it at the time, but that movie was actually going to change the way that, that the film industry works today, and, and it has radically changed the film industry. It was a movie, it was a comic book movie, And it was about a little-known hero at the time named Iron Man. Now, I know all of you in here are comic book fans, especially Miss Jo. And so I know that um, she was just kind of like, and so, so I know that you guys went out and stood in line and camped out overnight to watch this movie when it came out. But, um, but we didn't know it at the time, but that film actually changed the way that movies are made because come to find out that movie was actually the beginning of a larger universe called the Marvel Somatic Universe. And in the last 13 years or however long it's been, this thing has grown beyond anything that, that anyone could have imagined. And basically the universe works like this. You have, you have the major films which kind of serve as the anchors of the story. And then you have the uh, television shows that, that come out, and those kind of fill in necessary details that you need to know. And then for the real nerds, you've got the documentaries that come out and kind of give you kind of the behind the scenes kind of things and kind of explain to you the story and that kind of stuff. And when I read Matthew 13, I kind of I think that it kind of works the same way because you've got two major parables with their interpretations, and those two kind of serve as the anchors of the chapter. And so those two are kind of the main point of the chapter. But then you've got about five or so smaller parables that Jesus gives, and those little parables kind of fill in necessary details that you need to know. And then you have two 
uh, sections where Matthew in one place and Jesus in another place is gonna kind of give the documentary. He's gonna give you kind of the behind the scenes of what's going on. And so you can think of it as the uh, kingdom parable somatic universe if you want to or if you're a, if you're a nerd like me. So, um, but anyway, what we're looking at today is kind of the first documentary. It's the first kind of editorial section where Jesus is explaining why he is telling these parables the way, he are, the way he is. He's giving them kind of that behind the scenes look of this is how the movie's being made. This is, this is the point of the story. This is the overall uh, big picture that you're looking at. And this morning, my hope and my prayer is that you, through this text, will be more and more convinced that you need a regular diet of God's word in your walk with him every single day. That's my prayer for you. And so you remember last week, this is actually happening in the middle of the parable of the sower. We saw the parable itself in verses one through nine. Then we see the interpretation in verses 18 through 23. And in the middle, we have kind of this explanation of, of why are the parables? Why are you talking to them in parables? You remember in chapter 12, Jesus is facing opposition, uh, several opposition stories that happened. And, and Matthew is using this to train disciples, teach disciples, just like all throughout church history, the church has been refined and the church has been formed, not just through the truth, but also through doctrinal controversies. And so Matthew is using these controversies to kind of sharpen the church and help us understand what is our conviction about Christ and about our response to him. And these parables are explaining the theology of the kingdom. Why is it that there are people who refuse to listen? Why is it that you have four different responses, three of which do not produce a harvest? Only one kind of soil does. These parables are explaining what we can expect when we take our convictions to the world, when we live out our faith. The same reactions we saw in the parable, and therefore, don't get discouraged about it. Don't lose heart. Don't say that it, life was so much easier when I was not an active Christian. Life was so much easier when I was an unbeliever. I've heard people complain like that before. And you know what? There's a ring of truth to that, isn't there? There certainly is a ring of truth to that. But I want you to understand, don't be discouraged. Don't lose heart because it is Christ who builds his church. Anybody can build a crowd. That does not take a lot of skill. It does not take a lot of effort. Just put up big lights and entertain people and and all that, and I'm not saying all the churches that have big lights do that, but I am saying that it's pretty easy to build a crowd, but only Christ can build a church. And that's the whole focus of the kingdom parables. That's, that's what he's talking about. And so we're not just talking about building the church by means of bringing people in, but we're also talking about building the church. And our primary, our primary concern this morning is that the kingdom is being built within us, that that kingdom is having a greater and greater reality within us. And that's what I want to ask this morning. Is that, is that a reality in your life? And is that growing in you. 
And so this morning, we're gonna ask ourselves how Christians are to be built up in the word, and we're gonna ask ourselves, how can we do that? Why must we do that? And that's what we find in verse 10. The disciples come up to Jesus and say, why do you speak to them in parables? Now, I told you this last week, but just for sake of a reminder, I don't think this is a real question. Uh, It has the grammatic structure of a question, but you all know and I know that there are some questions that are not really questions, right? Uh, Small group on Sunday night, inevitably every Sunday night, there's a a certain point we're all standing around talking and there are certain points where one of the wives will look over to one of their husbands and say, are you ready? That's not a question. And every husband in the room knows that is not a question. It's time to go. That is, an, that is an alarm clock. It is time to leave. And so I don't think this is a question either. Jesus has this massive crowd. It was a wonderful opportunity. And he tells this little farming story. And the end, he sends them off. And so I imagine the disciples come up to him and say, Jesus, Parables, what gives? What's going on? Why'd you do that? You had them. This was our chance. They were just the crowd. Jesus wants to build a church. And that's why he's gonna give us three reasons why we must be built up in the word and not be building up a crowd. And by the way, I failed to get a PowerPoint this morning. I'm kind, of in a, I'm kind of in my crunch week for my doctoral work, and so I did not, I kind of overslept this morning, and so I didn't get a PowerPoint up for you. So we're gonna look at his provision, we're gonna look at our peril, and we're gonna see the privilege. We need to be built up in the world because of his provision, because of our peril, and because of our privilege. And so let's look at these just in turn. In verse 11, Jesus is gonna give three parts to this answer. And in verse 11, he begins by saying, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. Now, let's stop right there for a minute because what are the secrets of heaven? If you're using the New American Standard, I kind of like their translation better here because it says mysteries. And that term mysteries is, is actually kind of traced throughout the rest of the New Testament. Now, this is the only time that Jesus is gonna use this term, but Paul is gonna use this term a lot. And he uses it to refer to different things that we see, uh, something like 26 times Paul uses this term. And so, for example, let's just kind of trace some of this here. In Ephesians chapter Three verses four and six. You might just want to write these texts down for later. But uh, in Ephesians chapter uh, chapter uh, what I say three, yeah, Ephesians three four and six. Uh, he says here. He says that when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the secret or the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations, but now has been revealed to us in the holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And what is that mystery? I'm glad you asked. In verse six, he says, the mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and 
uh, of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus. Very key phrase here, in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And so the mystery is that the gospel is going to bring in both Gentiles and Jews into the kingdom, partakers of the, of the same promises that they will be made as part of God's people. And this, and this traces on in Colossians chapter one. Colossians chapter one, verses 27 says this, that to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. There's that word again. What is the mystery? Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He says in Colossians chapter two, verse two, the mystery which is Christ. And so beloved, the mystery that has been given to you to know is Christ in you, you see, the, you see the Jews under the law, they had this external law that they had to try their best to keep as best as they could. But the whole purpose of the law was to show them that they couldn't and to prepare them for a greater need, a secret, a mystery that was coming that is now revealed that it is Christ in you that we do not serve a God that is external to us, though he is, but we don't relate to him as an external God. We relate to him as Christ in us. Beloved, you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit and by nature of the, of the Trinity, by nature of his presence, you also have the Son and you also have the Father. Isn't that a profound mystery? profound, but, is, but we believe it because it is what the word tells us. Christ in you. And Jesus says that that is the mystery that has been given to you to know. In other words, the mystery of the content of the gospel, which is centered in Christ and God's plan for the ages to sum up all things in him. And it is the gift that keeps on giving. You never outgrow the gospel, beloved. You never outgrow Christ. You don't get Christ and then start making car payments as if Christ is your down payment and then you have to start earning the rest. The gospel is the gift that keeps on giving, beloved. The gospel is not just for unbelievers. It is for believers too, and the more we grow, look what he says in verse 12, to the one who has more will be given and he will have in abundance the riches. Remember what Paul said, that you may know according to the riches of God's glory, the mystery that is in Jesus Christ. You have the very riches of God indwelling you, which is Christ Jesus our Lord. What in the world could compare to that? This is another way of talking about the new covenant that was promised to the Jews that is fulfilled in Christ. If you look in uh, Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31, for just a moment, look in uh, verses 33 and 34. In verse 33 and 34, it says, for this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. 
I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God. They shall be my people and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, no, Yahweh, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest declares Yahweh. I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember them no more. That is the new covenant. And Christ is telling his disciples, to you, this has been given to know. You are now in the new covenant. The spirit has written God's law on his heart. Now that doesn't mean that we don't need to learn, that we don't need to grow, that we don't need to do all of that, but the desire to obey the law, the change that takes place within a Christian, all of that has been written on our hearts in Christ. And we now have the spirit indwelling us who cries out with all of his heart, Abba, Father, and draws us into into communion with God. Paul, when he prays, he prays to those who have this provision. He prays that they would increase to abundance. He says that I now lift my hands, bend my knees to the Father, that you would be strengthened to know. How does he word it? I don't want to misquote it here. He says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. And watch this, verse eight, that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. You hear the mystery in that. How do we know what surpasses knowledge? Only through Jesus Christ. Only through the gospel of Christ. And so what's our responsibility for this? What's our responsibility? You know, before I hurt my back a couple years ago, I was training almost every night in CrossFit. And I remember the first night I went there, uh, I was, you know, kind of nervous and didn't know really what to do. And he said, grab some dumbbells. And so I grabbed some dumbbells. I grabbed like, you know, 20, I grabbed like 30s. And the trainer was like, no, no. He gave me eights. I was like, okay, dude, give me a little credit here, okay? You know, let me, let me be at least a little manly in this class because I was like the only dude there and I kind of wanted to show off, you know? And, and, and uh, it's like, let me have a little, give me a little credit here. He was like, no, 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 eights are fine. Dude, by the end of that class, I could not lift my arms. <laughs> they were so heavy. If you don't think eight pounds can carry you to the bottom of the sea, trust me, they can. And... Uh, But you know what? After about a year, I was actually using 25s. In other words, the more I exercised, the more I worked with those weights, the more, the stronger that I got. And beloved, just like physical exercise, spiritual exercise is the same way. The more we live out our faith, the more we practice our faith, the more that we walk in the Lord, the more you exercise, the stronger you become. The more you know the Lord, the stronger your faith becomes, the more you know him. Like an antenna that's being tuned to the right frequency, you are in tune with the Lord's working and you can see him everywhere. You can see his work, you can see his deeds, you can see him answering prayer. Someone said one time, 
that, and I can't remember who it was. Maybe, Corey, you can help me out here. I can't remember. Maybe it was uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones. I can't remember. But somebody told him that, you know, uh, all answered prayer is is just coincidences that, that you just kind of give to God. And <laughs> Lloyd-Jones says, well, I don't know about that, but I know this. The more I pray, the more coincidences happen. <laughs> and so we see that. We're tuned to that. And it's a wonderful provision. It's a wonderful provision. But what about those who reject? What about those who reject it? And that's where we come to verses 13 and 15. And really, we, really he began this thought in, in verse 11. But he says here in verse 11, those who do not have uh, to them and has not been given. And then he says to the one who has more will be given, but and he will have abundance, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Our uh, liberal friends love that verse. But uh, he continues on in verse 13, and he gives the, the purpose of the parables. He says, this is why I speak to them in parables, because, and, and this is a reference to Isaiah 42, that seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Hearing, seeing, even though they see it, they do not really see it, they don't perceive it. Even though they hear it, they do not hear it, they don't understand it. And this is why I speak to them in parables. You remember, this is coming in the middle of the parable of the sower, Right? And you've got four kinds of, well, really one kind of seed, but it's thrown into four kinds of soil. And you remember three of those soils had, or at least two of them had a response. All three of them, you remember in the interpretation, heard the word. And two of them even had a superficial kind of response to the word. But at the end of the day, it failed to produce a harvest. And that's really the, the emphasis of, of that parable is that whether or not the word of God is producing a harvest in your heart, that's really what's happening there. Only the good soil did. And so as a result, they're fulfilling Isaiah's prophecy. He, he, uh, he speaks of this in verses 14 and 15, but this is actually quoting back to Isaiah 6 and the call of Isaiah when Isaiah was called by the Lord, he saw the Lord high and lifted up. And, and we know that wonderful text, but very rarely do we read past verse eight. In verse nine, he tells them, you are going to a nation that seeing they will not see and hearing they will not hear, nor will they understand. And Isaiah says, oh Lord, how long? How long? In other words, the whole point of 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 Isaiah's ministry. In fact, the Lord even flat out tells Jeremiah this, is that the reason I am sending you is so that the people will know there was a prophet among them, but they will not listen. They will not listen. And this is essentially storing up wrath to make them accountable and to make them more so accountable. Oh, believe, unbeliever, let me talk to you for a moment. Do you realize that if you are sitting under the sound of the word of God this morning and you choose to reject it, not only are you choosing the source of life, but you're also storing up greater wrath for yourself. With more opportunity comes more responsibility. 
So please heed that word. Isaiah was called to a people that would not listen. And that's what we're seeing back. You remember back in Matthew 11, we already talked about this. If you wanna turn your page. He says, I thank you in verse 25. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding revealed in the children. Why? Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. It says, all things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal. And so there is a, a sovereignty aspect of this. And that's what God is saying here. That's what Jesus is saying. That's the function of the parables. They both reveal and they conceal. Just like when the Exodus came, it was primarily deliverance for God's people and judgment upon his enemies. So also Jesus is doing the same thing now. It is both a deliverance for his people and a judgment upon those who hear but do not hear, who see but do not understand. Beloved, that's why we must never make the gospel user-friendly or more palatable to the modern culture. The gospel is meant to be an offense. Now, don't get me wrong, that doesn't mean that we're offensive. And I hear, I hear some Christians like that sometimes and it really bugs me, okay? That doesn't mean that we get to be offensive. That doesn't mean that we get to intentionally try to, try to offend people. That's not our goal. But the gospel is an offense to those who will not hear. And it is not our job to make it more user-friendly, to make it more palatable to them. All you're gonna do is build up a church of false professors. And that leads to all kinds of problems. The parables both conceal and reveal. Beloved, what we see throughout the scriptures is that when God wants to judge a people, the first thing he does is take the word away from them. And he leaves them to, himself, to themselves. Proverbs 29, 18 says that where there is no vision, the people perish, which by the way, that verse is horribly taken out of context by so many of your leadership gurus today and all that. That's not referring to secular leadership. That's referring to the word of God. That where there is no prophetic vision, the people will cast off all restraint. And if you read the second half of the verse, it, it makes that clear. They always stop quoting it at the first half. And so it goes on and says, but it is a, I believe it says what? It is an honor to those who keep the law. It's talking about the word of God. Amos chapter one, uh, excuse me, Amos 8, 11 says that I will send them a famine, but it will not be a famine of produce. It will not be a famine of drink or milk, but it will be a famine of my word. Hosea chapter four, verse six says that for my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. They do not know the Lord. You see, beloved, when God wants to judge a people, he does not need to do really anything special. All he has to do is just leave us to ourselves and we'll destroy ourselves. We'll cast off all restraint. Romans chapter one, 
if you read that carefully, you know, you know, so many people look at Romans chapter one and the things that Paul's talking about and they say, oh, these are the things that we're gonna be judged for in America. Beloved, if you read that chapter carefully, those things are the judgment. Because Paul says over and over and over, and over again that God left them to their selves. Left them to themselves. They, that is the judgment. Can you imagine if, you know, now that my back is kind of fixed, I'm, I'm wanting to get back into CrossFit. And uh, can you imagine if I went in there and tried to start immediately with the 25s again? <laughs> my back's not gonna like it. Let's just say that, right? Because it's been like two years now. I'm probably gonna have to start back on the eights, if not the fives, if not the one and a halves. Because if you don't exercise, the weaker you get. In fact, the first sign that you, that your health is failing is that you lose your appetite. And beloved, the same thing is true if your spiritual health is failing. You are, the first tangible sign is that you are losing your appetite for the word. That love of the word is going away. It's like a downward escalator. When you were kids, uh, did you ever try to go up the down? Am I the only ADD overactive kid in here? <laughs> you ever try to go up the down, try to go up a downward going escalator, you know? I used to do that at Park Plaza all the time. And you know, the one thing about it is that the moment you stop walking up those stairs, what's that escalator doing? It's taking you back down. And beloved, that's, our flesh is like that downward escalator. And the moment we stop walking in the spirit, the moment we stop losing, the moment we start losing our appetite for the word, our flesh is taking us down and taking us away. The words that God has given us, they are our life. We live by them, not because we worship the word, we don't, but because we worship the God who gave us the word, because we worship him they are our food, they are our drink, they are our source of strength. And this is one way that the evil one takes the word away from us. He presents the difficulties of spiritual discipline to you and say it's so much easier to not have to deal with it. He, he shows you the crosses, the sufferings, the losses, the sorrows that those who hold to their convictions face and he puts that right in front of you to try to take the word away from you. But beloved, we must be built upon the word of God. When you're tempted, when you're tempted by the difficulties of it, remember the necessity. When you're tempted by the hardship, remember the afflictions of Christ. And remember that those afflictions are given to you for your good and for his glory. And this really leads us to the last two verses. We saw that we must be built on the word because of their provision. We saw that we must be built on the word because of our peril, but there's also our privilege. It's also our privilege. Look at verses 16 and 17. But, but blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and they did not hear it. 
Beloved, we are privileged. We are a privileged people. This term blessed is, is kind of like a beatitude. In the Beatitudes, those, those 12 core characteristics of the Christian life that we talked about. And this is a, this is a core characteristic of, of what it means to be a disciple, that we are a blessed people. And that we are a people who see and we are a people who hear. We, we, we are immensely blessed because we have the riches of God's word. And we can grow in them. You remember Ephesians chapter three, verse five, what was the definition of a mystery? Something that was unrevealed previously, but has now been given to us through the completion of revelation. In fact, look at, you wanna see how privileged we really are. Look at 1 Peter chapter one. First Peter chapter one, this is one of those passages you might wanna underline. Because in verses 10 and 11, he says, Peter says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time or the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It says that the prophets and those who wrote the Old Testament were, were carefully searching. They were carefully inquiring as to what the Lord was talking about, but they never saw it. They were writing those things down for us, for those who would realize the full revelation. In fact, you want to really see it. Look at verse 12. It was revealed to them that they were giving, that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you by those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Watch this. Things into which angels long to look. Do you realize that the, that the salvation you have is something that the angels are longing to look into? They desire to look into it. Paul prayed that you would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. Beloved, these are things that even the angels of heaven long to know. I think in the internal age, one of the ways that we're gonna serve God is that each and every one of us is gonna have congregations of thousands of angels that are longing to hear the testimony of God's grace in our, in our lives. Now, that's a Randy. Don't take that as dogma, but... But I, but I do believe that. I, I think that that's one of the ways we're gonna serve him is by preaching to the angels and letting them hear about the glory and the grace that God has shown toward us. Why do we treat it so familiar? Why do we treat it like it's no big deal? Why do we treat it as if knowing God is just something we check off if we have nothing else to do on Sunday morning and then we go off and live our life like it doesn't matter? Why do we treat it so lowly, so unworthily of what it is I imagine the, the angels of heaven must, 
Messiah. Oh, beloved, how they must grieve looking at us and treating it so familiar. They must look down from heaven and want to shout at us, don't you get it? How could you treat it so unworthily? Paul said, I count all things but loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Beloved, do you count all things as loss to know Christ and him crucified? We have the greatest privilege of all, of all eternity, to know Jesus Christ. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, I just wanna talk to you for a moment. Because you see, God has created all of the things you see. He has created all of us. He's created the world. He created us to rule the world under him in perfect harmony and peace. But what we did was we took the crown off of God's head. We tried to put it on our head. We said, shove off God. We don't want to have you as our king. We want to run our own lives. We want to run our own way. And the problem with that is we make a mess of things, don't we? We make a mess of society. We make a mess of our families. We make a mess of our own lives. And what's even worse is that God is not gonna let this rebellion go on forever. Just like any other treason against a king, God is going to judge our sin. And the, and the punishment for sin is death and then judgment. That's why we die. But even worse than death is the second death is when after we die, that judgment comes. And God's punishment sounds harsh and it is. But because God loves us, he made another way for you. And that is he sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, into the world, fully God, fully man, who lived perfectly under his rule and earned the righteousness that you and I need. And then he died on the cross to pay the penalty of our sins. And not only that, beloved, but he rose up on the third day because God said, that's enough. He rose up on the third day and now he's ascended to heaven at the right hand of God and he's offering himself to you as a rescue from your sin, as a deliverer from his own wrath. We have a word for that in the church. It's he's our savior. He has saved us from our own sin. And one day he's coming again to establish his kingdom physically in the world. And all that was caused by the fall, all that was caused by our sin will be gone. No more tears, no more disease, no more death, no more suffering. And that's what he's bringing for those who love him and for those who know him. But for those who reject you're still facing death and you're still facing judgment. And we don't want you to leave that way. We don't want you to leave that way. 
So we're inviting you this morning to respond to him in faith alone, in Christ alone, by his grace alone, on the authority of scripture alone, to the, to the glory of God alone. You repent from your sin, you turn from them, from your self-rule, from trying to do things your way. You lay down your crown and you submit to the crown of Christ as your new king. And he forgives all your sins and he gives you new life in him. That's what it means to be in the kingdom is to have all your sins forgiven by Christ, to place all of our trust in him alone for full forgiveness of sin and to have new life within us through his new life and the resurrection. That's what it means. Beloved, we will never outgrow that message. We will never outgrow. If you're here a believer this morning, this is the gift that keeps on giving. This is what we're growing deeper and deeper in. This is what we're establishing firmer and firmer roots in. This is our life. This is who we are. There's not a single one, there's not a single one of us in here that deserves it. You know, some people say, don't forget your roots. Beloved, don't forget your roots. Don't forget where you came from. Don't forget where I came from. We all need the gospel of Jesus Christ and him. So how do we grow in that? We saw this morning that we must be built up in the word of God. We saw all three reasons, the provision, the peril, and the privilege. And I know some of you are saying, well, Randy, I know that, I, I hear that. I wanna be built up in the world, but I've tried starting a thousand times and built up in the world. Built up in the word, and I've tried a, a thousand times, and I've failed a thousand times. What do I need to do? Listen, I hear you. Don't be discouraged. Any new habit is gonna have setbacks, okay? So any new habit is gonna have setbacks, and that is true. Don't be discouraged. You're learning to walk, and it's okay. It's not about how often you fail. It's not about how often you fall. It's about how often you get back up, okay? So let me just give you four quick little helps that you can take with you. Number one is every time you approach the word, whether it be in church or in your own study, approach it with prayer. Approach it with prayer. It's the spirit that teaches you. Psalm 119, 18, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. It is the spirit that teaches you. Number two, approach it with two basic questions. And these are, these are not mine. This is the Westminster Shorter Confession. Shorter Catechism, excuse me. Here they are. What am I to believe about God in this text? And what response does God require of me from this text? So what do I believe about God? How do I respond? That's what you're looking for. Don't try to understand all the details because you probably won't. If you got those two basic questions, you've got the message of the word, okay? And then number three, evaluate yourself in light of that, in light of those two questions, how am I doing? And then number four, resolve. 
What will I do? And what will it look like? What's it gonna look like at work? What's it gonna look like with my family tonight? What's it gonna look like with my children? So approach, basic questions, evaluate, and resolve. I tried to think of a cool acronym. I got ABER. A-B-E-R, ABER, okay? So whatever. But approach the word with prayer. Those two basic questions, what do I believe about God? How do I respond? And then evaluate yourself on those two questions. And then resolve to change, to obey those two questions. It'll look different for everyone, but what matters is that you're obeying the word. And then pray for God's help. Pray for God's help. Beloved, it is better to spend a little bit of time every day than it is to try to catch up and spend like an hour in prayer on Saturday mornings. It is better to spend a little bit every single day and try to do it in big chunks. You win a race one step at a time. And this is the race for eternity. It's one step at a time. I will uh, print those out, those, three, those, uh, those little tips. I'll put them out on Facebook today so you can see them. Um, don't be discouraged by your past failures. It's not about how often you fall. It's about how often you get back up and start again. And the Lord is with you. He will help you. He's not gonna obey for you, but he is gonna strengthen you to obey. Our Father, we thank you for these wonderful principles that you've given us. And so, Lord, I know we're all ready for tacos, and so I just want to take just a moment so that your people can work to have the word implanted in their heart so they, that they will respond. Lord, whatever that response is, if they want to come down and look for practical solutions or prayer if they need counseling. Father, if there's someone here who's never responded to the gospel for the first time, maybe they've received the word, but they need to confess their faith in baptism. Maybe they need to join a church, a community of believers for mutual accountability, Christian maturity, and practicing the one another's commands that you give for the fellowship. Lord, whatever is on our minds, I pray that you would use this text to instruct us, to help us, and to enlighten us and enliven us for your glory this week. Let's stand together. And if you're here this morning for any need or reason that you have that you want to come to seek counsel, you want to accept Christ as your Lord. If you've received the word and you need to confess that in baptism, maybe you're here and you need fellowship and, and you're ready to commit to Calvary Baptist Church, whatever, whatever the case is, um, we invite you to come. Or you can simply reflect where you are. Let's sing together.